the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Week zero is here. We have college football in less than a week. We will be breaking down what has happened in actual games between FBS opponents, between Power 5 teams. We have a Big Ten conference game coming up in less than a week. Uh, We're going to get to some of our headlines from or what we are expecting to see out of week zero. Also... We've been dancing around the alliance. I think we need to take some time to actually, what do we think it is? What do we think will come of it? As additional reporting from Dennis Dodd and many from around uh, college football have indicated that some kind of formal announcement is going to be coming uh, to fill in the details. So we'll get into that as well as uh, some big news from the recruiting trail. Bud Elliott will be joining us. But I wanted to begin with the game week. I wanted to begin with football and so as we're looking at, um, you know, the, the rundown, we've got uh, the Nebraska-Illinois game. Of course, just massive storylines on both sides of it. Uh, UCLA will be hosting Hawaii. Fascinating, probably mostly for the fact that we've got LSU on deck. But, I, you know, there could be other angles to this as well. Uh, a few other games uh, scattered across the week zero headlines. So let's, let's go open table for a little bit. Um, what are you most excited about when you had to start jotting down your notes, when you had to start preparing yourself for what's coming up this weekend? Um, what, what are you going to be tracking uh, once the action gets started? UConn's quest for a repeat. Come on, Chip. Why you bury the lead? <laughs> no, it is their, it is their first game in two years. Mm-hmm. Didn't get to play last year. Uh, it is their first trip to the West coast or to Fresno state. So you got some first there, but are you calling the game? It's on the mothership. (laughs) You're wondering why I'm pumping it. It is a CVS sports game. I'm not going to the game, but I mean, this is all about the conference games and then about Illinois, Nebraska. Like this is, that's our game right here. Our boy Fornelli here is going to be watching every snap with like hanging on the season in the balance. But Nebraska dealing with, you know, the issues they have going on right now, that to me is the easy game of the weekend for sure. I'm looking forward to being annoyed kind of late Saturday afternoon, early Saturday evening at the fact because there are four games and three of them are going to be played at the same time. <laughs> and it's like right. you look, you spend all offseason like looking for it, even though it's week zero and it's a smaller slate. You spend all offseason looking forward to having games and it's like they got only four and you've got Nebraska and Illinois starting at, you know, a one Eastern. And then UConn and Fresno's at two Eastern. Hawaii UCLA's at 3.30. So those games will all pretty much be going on at the same time. And then when they end, you're going to have to sit around for a few hours waiting for the only game that's being played in primetime, which is UTEP and New Mexico State. Other than that, 
I'm just really looking forward to having football to watch. And yes, especially the Illinois Nebraska game. Well, all right. So what do you think the, uh, the pulse, uh, your uh, expectations, you know, putting on your, your fan hat and then also just sort of where Illinois fans are at. Um, what do you think the mindset is in, in terms of expectations for Illinois? I think that like most fan bases, when you're getting close to the start of the season, I, f- I think there's like a cycle to being a fan, unless you're a fan of an Alabama or somebody like that, where it's, you know, national title expectations every year. I think for most schools, it's at the end of the season, depending on how the previous season went, you're like, ah, okay, well, you know, next year could be better. You know, we got, we got reload. We got to rebuild. We got some work to do. But I think with Illinois, there's the excitement of a coaching change, which always kind of pumps up your expectations for what the team's going to be because it's like, all right, cool. So now we can just blame everything on the old coaching staff. <laughs> like all the problems that this team had, it was all the coaches. The players are magnificent. Everybody's great. We're going to win all the games now that we have a new coaching staff. It's going to bring in new exciting schemes. I think, I think the there's a portion of the fan base that really thinks that this team can get to a bowl game. I don't think that's impossible. I do think, as we talked about a little bit, we were doing the win totals. Like Illinois last year had to deal with COVID problems and injury problems where they were using their third and fourth string quarterback. They only played eight games and they had a third string or fourth string quarterback starting two or three of those games. So it had a pretty big impact on their final record. And I do think that they're going to be better than they were last year. It's just, I don't think this is a great team. I think this is a team that you're going to hope they like the win totals at three and a half. I think that's low. Obviously we all locked it up, but I think that's not like incredibly low. I don't think they should be at five and a half or anything. So I'm thinking like five and seven, four and eight as the most likely. I think six, six and six is possible. But, you know, I think Illini fans are just kind of excited because the whole new coaching change gives them a, something to look forward to. And, you know, this is what, like a 20 year rebuild that's been going on for a while. So. <laughs> Um, UCLA in, in that game against Hawaii, as I mentioned earlier, it feels like it's the, the kind of game where I take my pad out and I'm making notes in anticipation of what's going to be coming on the horizon with LSU. My expectations for Hawaii are very low. Uh, but Elliot here in the party, if you're watching on YouTube, youtube.com slash cover three, you did the, uh, around the clock series for UCLA, maybe a good refresher. If, uh, any fans want to go back and check that out before week zero, do you think that the matchup against Hawaii will present um, any kind of challenges or present the kind of situations where we can answer uh, any of the lingering questions that still surround this Bruins team going into like this? It just thinks it seems like everyone is looking at UCLA, not ready to bag on them, expecting them to be better. It's like there's a, a very high floor, low ceiling type proposition with the Bruins right now in terms of the way we discuss them. What's, what's your anticipation here in week zero? Yeah, so a, a very experienced team here for for UCLA. I, I think they're going to know what they're going to do coming in. Just to recap, or to recap, rather the, the around the clock series. <laughs> it's it's been a morning. Um, yeah. So uh, they really love their tight ends. Their offensive line is, is expected to be better. Uh, they they brought in the San Jose State uh, coordinator to be their quarterback coach. Obviously, San Jose State last year was really good chucking the ball around. So they're expecting improvement out of Dorian Thompson Robinson. The defensive line is beefed up, and uh, they should be better at stopping the run. Um, I'm pretty high on this UCLA team. You know, I I, I bet them over. I bet them for the South at ten to one. Uh, I I just think they're potentially just as good as anybody else in in the South. Uh, however, Chip Kelly historically has not done a a. He really doesn't seem. How do I say this? 
It's not that he doesn't try in non-conference games. Oh, but, yes. but he sort of has treated them as preseason-ish. And you have in recent years seen a markedly different UCLA team once they got to conference play. Now the LSU game is big enough, and it's actually a game they can win. Whereas, like against Oklahoma two years ago, you knew whether he threw his whole game plan or no game plan, they weren't going to win that. LSU is big enough to where I think they probably won't hold back in the LSU game, obviously, because they're going to try to win that thing. But I wouldn't be shocked if they were totally bland against Hawaii. I mean, just show absolutely nothing, especially for new coordinators on both sides of the ball uh, at LSU. So, like, spring game offense can get you a comfortable 14-point win, and we can overreact and say that they didn't look great, but know that there's probably – there's the precedent of the way that Chip Kelly and his staff have treated this in the past, but then also the – the look-ahead factor from the coaching and game-planning standpoint? If uh, if if I was confident that UCLA was going to play this like a normal game, I would be betting UCLA because I'm pretty high on them for obvious reasons. What I will look to do here is if UCLA gets out to a good lead, I will want to play live unders because I feel like UCLA will just run the heck out of the ball and get out of there. And they are, we're still, even though we've got change over the running back position, we're still expecting that to be a pretty good, uh, you know, we got the bonus, uh, the offensive line, yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they yeah, still that should be a strength. Um, any so we've we got the ne- Nebraska, Illinois, UCLA. Uh, is there any other uh, game or any? Oh, and Danny, I'm not gonna forget them again. And UConn playing its first game out west and trying to defend its New York Times national championship right there. Um, in any other s- storylines or anything else that stands out from uh, from the slate here in uh, week zero. Well, I, I am interested in seeing Nebraska's offense because like la- last year was a team where the defense that had been the problem for a while, I mean, going back to the beginning of the Mike Riley era, kind of took that step forward and started showing signs of being a pretty good defense. And the kind of defense, you know, you can compete for the Big Ten West with while the offense just, they were playing quarterback roulette. There was a lot of inconsistency with everybody they put back there. So I want to see if if... I, my suspicion is that Adrian Martinez is Adrian Martinez at this point. It's like, you know, this is his fourth year there. It's like how much growth can really be left to do. But maybe this is the year where he's just a little more, takes better care of the football and is a little more consistent from week to week so you have a better idea of what you're going to get. But I also want to see, you know, Wandale Robinson left for Kentucky. It's going to be interesting to see. And I think that it's kind of unfortunate for both coaching staffs in that Nebraska's got changes it wants to make and it's got to open the you know open its season with a road game in the Big Ten and the same side as Illinois where they've got an entirely new coaching staff and instead of getting like a soft like FCS or lower group of five opponent like you typically want in the opening game of a season you're getting a home game against a team that you're probably seeing is your competition within the division at a team you're trying to be you know beat in the standing so it's going to be an interesting one for both sides. Do we have high expectations for Nebraska's offense? Like you're you're pitching it as in curiosity. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sitting here saying I don't think it's going to be great. No, I, I don't think they've showed any evidence in the last few years to think that this is going to be the year where everything clicks and everybody's going to be great and they're going to be putting up 35, 40 points per game. But I just want to see. Like I think that if you're a Nebraska fan, if you come out and you're on the road in your very first game of the season against the Big Ten divisional opponent and you play well. That gives you some reason to be optimistic going forward. Not saying that it's like, oh, wow, you're going to compete for the division because you beat Illinois, but you could at least feel a lot better about your bowl chances and maybe getting to seven, eight wins. So I'm. do we think that the uh, NCAA investigation, obviously a talking point on the broadcast, 
do we do we have like Scott Frost uh, hot seat hanging in the pendulum on Saturday, or do we need to wait like three four weeks into the season before uh, the the real like overreaction just chatter starts up to the point where um, every single time you're on a radio hit, like no matter where it, whether it's going to be in Omaha or whether it's going to be in Baltimore, like they're, they're going to be asking you Scott Frost. They're going to be asking you Scott Frost. Do you think that the result on Saturday can throw gasoline onto that fire enough that it becomes one of the bigger talking points in college football? I, I don't know if it'd become a huge talking point, but I, I have to think that if like Nebraska loses to Illinois and everything going on, it's not going to help the case, but I, I don't think, I mean, based on the way Nebraska is reacting to this publicly in which, you know, the AD and Scott Frost were both, you know, openly talking to the media about it and they got as much as they could and just saying, you know, addressing the situation and not kind of running and hiding from it. I don't know that it's really that big of a deal within that athletic department right now, at least is what they consider the possible punishments will be and whether that's really worth going after Frost. I don't know. It could still be some Machiavellian stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, but I don't think losing the first game of the season to Illinois is going to help. And like we talked about too, when this news first broke, like they get Illinois to start and then they've got Fordham and Buffalo after that, but then they get Oklahoma on the road. So like if they lose to Illinois and then they're getting embarrassed by Oklahoma a, a month later, and then the big tens, the rest of the big tens schedule starts and they're off to a slow start, then yeah, I think that that chatter is only going to become louder and louder. But I think that would be the case whether or not this NCAA investigation was happening. So we've got to we got to dig into this because I I have had trouble getting excited about the alliance. Like it it has it is a story that it, it guys if it had dropped in June I'd be all about it. I think this is let's let's try and figure this out, but. This is a story that is very much about like the adults and all I'm thinking about right now are the kids. Like all all I'm thinking about right now are the games and sort of this political posturing, but you know, it's the future of the sport. Uh, Everything seems to be hanging in the balance from NCAA governance to college football playoff expansion. And I mean, I guess, you know, politicians be politicking. So Dennis Dodd, again, among many others, uh, reported late last week, the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 are expected to announce a long-awaited alliance in the next two weeks. For now, the greatest influence the alliance is expected to have will be on the future of NCAA governance, realignment, uh, and among the three conferences is not... Realignment among the three conferences is not part of the ongoing discussion. So NCAA governance, and uh, and I would assume that the college football playoff expansion is another... Uh, part of this. Dennis has a source who described it as a quote, non-aggression pack against the SEC after the big 12 was destabilized. So we talked about this a little bit in the group chat. We've had more details. Danny, I know you were going into it uh, on the radio this morning. Does, does the Alliance get you going? I know Tom said on Twitter, he was like, if there's anything that watching survivor has taught you that 41 member alliances never hold up. So what do we think about the Alliance? Does it excite you? Is there anything that you think is particularly creative? Um, what do we think comes of this? I, I think it is a good way to stand up to SEC SBN, right? <laughs> um, which is quickly what the SEC is becoming. Now, of course, the ACC has a contract with the SBN, and you know, all the leagues do to some extent have some games you know, on the ESPN family of networks. Uh, but you know, if you, if you listen to, to the new Pac-12 commissioner, he's talking about how there's no reason we don't have this playoff 
uh, bid out to multiple entities. It's, it's how we increase uh, the money that's paid out. And it's also kind of helps us retain some control. I think that they're probably really concerned that Greg Sankey uh, was working behind the scenes to create a super conference uh, while at the same time sitting at the table of the you know comp- people who run the conferences that he kind of ended up hurting there in the Big 12. Um, so they want to be able to retain some control. I, I think it's more about voting power, right? Hey, we're all going to sit together and we're going we're to vote in this. Could it be for a TV contract thing down the line if they agree to play X number of games against each other? Sure, but I'm just not sure how many of these games are you know, extremely valuable anyway. Like, yes, I want to see Clemson and Ohio State, right? I, I, I want to see USC, Michigan. Uh, do I really want to see like Washington State, Purdue? Hell yeah. <laughs> right. But, you know, it, it's not that much more valuable in the traditional sense uh, than, uh, than you know, just playing your regular conference games would be. Now, maybe if, if you do some kind of alliance and you play more games on like Thursday nights or something like that, who knows? But I think for the most part, this is just uh, protectionism and voting power. Like, we're in this together. We're not going to just be totally overtaken by the SEC. And they're trying, I think, in some ways to regionalize the SEC. Yeah, I, I think this is like you're getting at it's there's nothing exciting about this alliance to me. And it's funny because it's like the reports that first surfaced originally is like, hey, Big Ten, Pac-12 and ACC are talking about an alliance, a possible scheduling alliance, a possible this alliance, possible that alliance. And then like the big story is that, hey, that thing that we didn't know anything about a couple of weeks ago. Well, now they might be announcing it, although we still don't really know what it's about yet. So I, I, I'm not that. It, I'll, I'll be interested in the alliance once we know what the alliance's ultimate goal is. But I think like what Bud's talking about is pretty much it. It's just a way to work together. I don't know if there's going to be really any like kind of scheduling deal out of it because I don't think that there's a ton to gain. I think it's really just a way to delay the playoff expansion and make sure that you get other parties involved because you don't want the SEC and ESPN running the entire thing, which is what they've basically been doing for the first five, six years of the current college football playoff. And you'd like to get it to change. And I think that the only way to do that is to unite together and maybe serve as a voting block of sorts, depending on how that all works and looks at the end with the new NCAA constitution or whatever the heck's going on there at the Continental Congress, whatever the hell they're doing. So I know it's a really weird time in this sport where I think everybody's just kind of trying to make sure like they were caught off guard by Oklahoma, Texas and the SEC. And now I think everybody's just trying to like, well, we have to look like we're doing something. So while we try to figure out what we're going to do, let's just do this. I think all you guys hit outstanding points. I do think when we were guessing what was the next move going to be in college football and with the SEC creating this super league, it's like, all right, ACC, your move. What are you going to do? Notre Dame and West Virginia? Well, it's close, but it doesn't stack up to Oklahoma, Texas. Uh, Big Ten, what are you going to do? Uh, we're going to go get Kansas and somebody else, maybe Cincinnati from there. Eh, it doesn't come close. Pac-12, you're going to go get uh, Oklahoma State. maybe. In a, like Of all the moves they could do, they couldn't match Oklahoma and Texas. But I do think this is the strength in numbers. All right, if we can't each individually make our own moves, let's all collaborate, come together, and see what we can do. I do think the scheduling thing is intriguing because – what was the, the matchup you gave Washington State versus who? Purdue. Well, see, I would rather watch Washington State Purdue than Washington State versus Portland State. 
You know, like what, like I think if they said some sort of structured layout of we are going to play 10 power five opponents and we're going to, you know, two group of five, no more FCS. And we're going to make this product from day one, you know, from week one to week 12, we're going to have competitive games. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to try to schedule these across and we're going to try to play them against each other. I do wonder too, if you did that, is there any chance? Because the ACC is locked into a bad deal. We're only in three years in, and it looks like it's an incredible bargain for ESPN to get access to the ACC product till 2036, and it's cheap, right? It's very cheap, especially considering what's about to unfold, what just did unfold with the SEC. I wonder if there's any power in that to say, all right, you know, we're, we play eight conference games up to now. Maybe we bump that up or we're going to replace some of these garbage opponents, the cupcake opponents, with these better games. If we give you better inventory, will you give us a reworked deal or something along those lines? Because I think that's – if you're if you're these other three, you're ticked off that Sankey made this move, and then you're looking at the money they've got and you're like, well, how can we compete with that? I would say that part of this alignment would be – trying to make yourself look more valuable. And I do think scheduling better competition would make you more valuable. So there's business and there's culture. And uh, those are two things that are ringing in my mind. And Danny, like, do you think that the ACC is going to be, is playing maybe a little bit of that poker right now? Because there's also, what if the ACC is like the sleeper cell, right? Like what? What if the ACC with its hundred <laughs> percent, with its a hundred percent ESPN deal, is entering into the alliance and is like, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll let you know what's going on. You know, we'll check we'll check in over coffee every single Tuesday. I, I'll give you the heads up of where the alliance's head is at. Or I, I like your side of it, which is, um, you know, maybe they are going to use this just as a as a position of power, just to try to find a, a little bit of leverage anywhere where it's it's looking like it's increasingly difficult to come by. The second piece was culture, because if we think about the ACC, and if we think about the Big Ten, and if we think about the Pac-12, and the university presidents, and the high-minded academic types, yes, Tom, and the, the pinkies up, and, and everything else, the, the fine violin being played at the cocktail party, like, that is them also getting together and positioning themselves against the SEC culturally. And when we think about the future of college sports and the future of college athletics, I mean, do you think that like player compensation is something that we're on the verge of really having difficult discussion about? And I don't think it's going to be difficult. I just think it's going to be kind of, you know, break, you know, bending some fans minds. If we really start to talk about player compensation, I think that there are other um, football first attitudes, which are very prevalent in the SEC and still prevalent in the SEC that has Texas and Oklahoma that don't resonate at all of the this uh, alliance level, ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12. I, I got to think, I mean, do you, do you all think there's any value to that? Do you think that this, some of this has to be uh, choosing your side based on what, kind, what you want football to be, to quote Nick Saban back in the day? It goes back to Survivor, Chip. <laughs> it's like all the athletic people in the game are – in an alliance together because they know that all the nerdy scrappy people are going to be coming after them to get them out because they can't beat them. So no, I, I, I culturally, yeah, I think that that's going to be part of it. 
or at least <laughs> I think that has often been the case when it comes to the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12 and these schools. It's at least fun to say it. I don't think – I think that if the true concern of these conferences is, you know, well, we're still, you know, an academic institution, I don't think they really care what the SEC is doing because they want to make sure that they're still getting money and that the SEC and ESPN aren't taking completely over the sport and going into their own revenue streams for their athletic departments. So I, I definitely think that culturally – at those conferences, maybe there is still some concern for the academics, but I think that that is, as has been the case for a long time, that's more of a talking point than the actual reality. What do you I do? Th- I do think, I think there's, I, and this is a problem because I think, you know, we've talked about uh, Sankey's playing chess and everybody else is playing checkers. I think this is more like Battleship, right? I mean, that was they're firing, you know, missiles at each other, and now the alliance is forming up and they're firing missiles back. But I do think this Supreme Court case just opened up everything, and specifically Brett Kavanaugh's comments opened up, and it was nine nothing unanimous. But then Kavanaugh's statement opened up the door to exactly what Chip was talking about about paying players, things looking different that would blow college football fans' minds. When you think about NIL is one thing. I personally was in favor of NIL. I think it's a good compromise. You don't have to have them employees. Brett Kavanaugh said NIL is cute, but this is not going to make us happy. This is not the way America works. His statement, I will read it to you. Nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair make, uh, market rate. Uh, you know, like that's that's the quick synopsis of it. I mean, that is glaringly, you guys are paying your players before long. Sankey, to me, seems like they're willing to embrace that. They have read the tea leaves. They see what's coming and they're saying, let's go. It feels like the alliance is kind of saying, well, hold on, not so fast. We don't want to go there yet. And that to me is the fear is that maybe we see this separate more, even though the alliance I don't think is going to have a choice. That, And it's funny because in the ACC, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to take this homer, but uh, the, the greatest football power is Clemson and Dabo's been anti-player compensation from the jump, you know, like you actually would have, like it wouldn't be a situation necessarily where Clemson would say, we want to play players or Dabo Sweeney would be leading the charge. Like we want to pay players. um, So we're going to go join the sec. They would almost be down to just continue to dominate the Alliance. If, uh, if that's what the future held, but it does feel like, you know, we're still a few steps away, but that's all stuff that um, I'd, I'd been thinking about when it comes to this alliance. Coming up on the other side, we turn our attention back to the field. We've got, finally, a starting quarterback named by Ryan Day for Ohio State in that opener at Minnesota. And keeping our eyes on uh, some of the other quarterback battles and huge news from the recruiting trail over the weekend. Next Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 
CJ Stroud named the starting quarterback at Ohio State. Um, I think that that follows in line with a little bit of the as expected. You know, would you have been concerned if this battle had continued? Feels like we're starting to get everything settled because you know you want to have it uh, named before you go into the the first week of actual game week. We're here in the final week of preseason camp right now as we record on a Monday. Um, any any thoughts on? Whether uh, whether you think that C.J. Stroud is prepared based on what we've heard from practice reports to deliver on your expectations, or is that um, does it does it fall in line with the Danny's daughter could do it? <laughs> Zero concerns. Okay. Like I so first of all, would I have been concerned if they said this this battle had gone on? Not not really, because I, I oftentimes don't believe that there's actually a battle going on. Right, like a lot of times, like yeah, we're going to wait to announce. It's still, still a battle. They're trying to get guys still grind and, and you know play hard in practice and you know not not think about jumping in the portal. But nobody has a better set of skill position players in the country than Ohio State. It may not be that close, just given what Alabama lost to the draft, and their quarterback room is just absolutely stupid loaded. I mean, they whoever is the QB for them is good. Is really <laughs> like if you win that battle, I'm going to assume you're an absolute stud. Because you beat out three other guys who are really, really talented. And the assumption right now is that C.J. Stroud is a stud. Yes. Yeah. Four guys, three five-stars, right? And one four-star? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the type of talent you're talking about. I mean, it's, that's And, like, stupid. not just, like, you know, I mean, t- and not number even one, just number like two, number three star. in the nation at their position. Yeah. Yeah. Do like, you think any one of them, announced, like, are we going to see a transfer this week? I would absolutely bet money that somebody will transfer out of this room. I do not know that when it would happen right yeah i don't think i would too i would think it's probably going to be i i i I, no somebody's going to definitely transfer i just think we'd probably see it after this season because you know cj stroud's been named the starter right now i don't think you're gonna see anybody leave this week because they might still be thinking well i could still get this job if he doesn't play well because you got to remember ohio state's first game is against minnesota so while they're probably going to win that game it's still a conference game and it's not like a warm-up kind of you know scrimmagey type of non-con game so maybe he struggles and somebody else gets a shot to go in there and can win the job but because again like bud was saying the guys behind cj stroud are also really good so i think that they still have that confidence where they're going to like stick around and think if they get a shot they can earn the you know starting job still so i definitely think at least one next after the season's over is going to enter that transfer portal probably even before the playoff starts or maybe right after the playoff and that's going to happen in the future but i don't think we're going to see it in the immediate future you know who's going to be watching the uh third and fourth quarters of that, of that minnesota game every coach uh, every other coaching staff <laughs> in the country yeah mm-hmm. they're, yep. they're going to want to see all right which, which of these guys who's not a true freshman all of a sudden uh is is their string um let's, let's, let's start hitting up the back channels and, and start talking to him so what what are the other quarterback battles that are ongoing that still have y'all's attention uh, as we do enter this final week of preseason? I got the my GA at South Carolina. <laughs> I got my yeah. Tallahassee. I, I think it is a very close battle. I mean, I and you do this is one where Bud, you know, was saying some of them they have you know quote battle and they don't go. I mean, I was there. I watched the sprint scrimmage. They both were getting reps with the ones. They were both getting reps with the two. And whether this is good or bad, neither one of them separated, which I think would be frustrating. I think like, and you want both guys to perform well, but you want the decision to be easy. And I think it's going to be a tough decision for Mike Norvell. So that's one I'm watching really close. I think it would be much, much tougher if Milton had been at more practices. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. with the quote unquote load management for the you know for the foot thing. 
that they've known about since spring. Like that's not a new, that's not a new injury. I, I think it's going to be Jordan Travis at this point, barring some kind of real turnaround. Just because I, I don't think the Mackenzie Milton that they have in Tallahassee is anywhere near what he was at UCF hmm. so far, based on what I've heard. You know, but who knows? He he's had a couple flashes. He's had a couple practices where he's really good. Travis has been the better player for most of spring camp, I think. But to Danny's point, like they both did things in scrimmage for sure. This is about the worst opener you could have, too, with the quarterbacks you're not sure on. You know, because you're going to throw one of them out there and you're going to play a really good team that you're an underdog against. You don't get that preseason, you know, cupcake kind of let's see how they do under the lights type of situation. Do we see both against Notre Dame? I think you could. You think so, too, bud? I I do. Um, I would be more confident that you would see both if McKenzie was sort of the starter and Jordan would be more of the changeup. Mm-hmm. You know, I McKenzie has the quicker release for sure. I think he's a lot more experienced. He also hasn't played a game since November of 2018. Um, we just got to see, right? Like, I, I do believe they are legitimately load managing him. I, I don't think they're hiding any kind of, you know, new injury, at least based on my knowledge. But, I mean, Travis has been the guy most of fall. So the storyline, uh, the, the one that's on my mind, the storyline out of Austin is that no one's won the job and not mm-hmm. because it's been awesome, but because there hasn't been uh, either out of Casey Thompson or Hudson card, there hasn't been uh, the kind of performance where they just go in and seize it. And, you know, there was even a takeaway, I think, not from this past weekend, but the weekend before where Casey Thompson, who started the bowl game and, you know, has a, a little bit more ex- experience edge there where Casey Thompson was playing poorly in a way that maybe the door was open and Hudson card wasn't walking through that door. And so with uh, the Louisiana game and then with Arkansas, I, I understand that we've got, you know, very sort of high expectations for what Texas can be that just based on Steve Sarkeesian and the roster that they have, they should be able to get off the bus and go in seven games. But I, I think that the um, Steve Sarkeesian, being vocal about how unhappy he is with the fact that we haven't really had one of those quarterbacks show the kind of consistency that's going to give him confidence to uh, name them the starter. I, I think that's one of the most significant battles that we have, maybe either that or college station, you know, yeah. based on like what they could be right now. What do y'all, I mean, where are we at with Texas? What's y'all's expectations? I mean, I, I do think that I, I think Casey Thompson, at least my, my gut told me going in just based because what we saw in the bowl game with Casey Thompson that the job was going to be his. But again, then with a new coaching staff coming in, everybody's kind of starting with a clean slate. So I don't know how much Casey Thompson's performance against Colorado in a bowl game is really going to weigh with Steve Sarkeesian and that coaching staff. So I believe them when they say that this is tight. And I think that that's probably a good thing because I would rather be in a situation like we've been talking about where I've got multiple guys who I feel like are performing well and are capable of winning the job than have one guy where I know is the is my starter and then a bunch of questions behind it because then I'm in a situation where oh god if my starter goes down I'm in a lot of trouble so I think it's a good situation for Texas to be in to have two good viable options the way that they're looking at it based on the reporting that we're getting out of camp there but it is important too because like you said Chip they've got it they don't have the softest opening to their schedule they've got the Louisiana game they've got Arkansas Oklahoma is not long you know that's always earlier in the season so it's important for them to get off to a good start with a new coaching staff to kind of build that momentum for the rest of the year i kind of think if it was going to be thompson they would have named him yeah just reading the tea leaves here because he's Um, it's his fourth year in the program card is a redshirt freshman and like card should be good eventually right 
I'm gonna uh, uh, I'm gonna quote from Chip Brown here, our our Texas insider for Horns two four seven. If Sarkeesian goes with Card, the sense is Thompson, after working and waiting for three years behind Ellinger, Go might on. not see any hope if passed over for a redshirt freshman and could leave. If Thompson is named the starter, the sense is Card would probably stay in the program and keep competing as a kid who grew up in Austin. Sarkeesian's best piece of coaching in year one might be some Yoda-like quarterback whispering to keep Thompson from entering the transfer portal if Card is the starter. So you're if I'm gonna if I'm gonna name Hudson Card the starter, I'm gonna wait till the very last minute. Uh, and do you think that's the same situation with Oregon then? Because that was another quarterback battle I've, like that I've been interested in. Because I felt like I thought going into like the spring and summer, like that was one of those jobs, like you mentioned earlier, where it's like you kind of know who the starter is, but it's a competition. And I figured that maybe Anthony Brown was going to get that. But then we've seen reports in recent weeks, maybe Ty Thompson is pushing to earn that starting job. Cristobal said this weekend that they're close to naming their starter and that it's been tight. I still expect it to be Brown, but I'm at least. I think I'm encouraged that Thompson might be making it a much more difficult decision than they anticipated because I, I got nothing against Anthony Brown, but I've kind of put myself out on a limb Oregon. with my Oregon predictions this year. And it's like, I think if Thompson earns that starting job, I'd have more confidence in it because I, I, I've got nothing against Anthony Brown, but I just think that there's somewhat of a ceiling is what you can do on offense with him. I, I really don't know what to expect there. Like I, I, I don't have the same feel for that. Like I, I, I think Chip's a great insider. So just re, w w when he writes that, I'm like, I see what you're doing here, Chip. Yeah, you're you're signaling. Um, okay. Speaking of 24/7 sports, how about the CBS Sports HQ commitments that we've had? A uh, couple of five stars, one from the 2022 cycle on Saturday night, and then uh, one from the 2023 cycle on Sunday. Uh, first, it was defensive lineman Travis Shaw from Greensboro, North Carolina, played at Gr played at Grimsley. Um, one of the top defensive linemen in the entire country, highest rated recruit to commit to the University of North Carolina since 2007. But is that Marvin Austin? What year was that? 2007? Yeah, I think it would have to be. Yeah, him pulling it out of the briefcase or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and everything legendary that followed from Marvin Austin, you know, getting the tenant rate. Um, so uh, then Brandon Ennis is a wide receiver, five-star. He commits to Oklahoma, adding to just an absolute haul. The Sooners uh, for the 2023 cycle have a five-star quarterback, I think two five-star wide receivers, Um I've got sort of thoughts on both sides of this, but Bud, um, what's uh, what's your read and your analysis on the situation from a big weekend in recruiting? Sure. So uh, North Carolina continues to make moves and and you know, threaten to be the most talented team in the in, in the coastal division. I mean, getting Travis Shaw, beating out Clemson, beating out Georgia is is a big time deal, right? And, and Mac Brown is really trying to build. <clears throat> excuse me, really trying to build something there in Chapel Hill uh, with pretty much all five-star type defensive tackles, the analysis basically is as follows. He is much more athletic relative to how big he is than he should be, right? God doesn't make a whole lot of folks that look like this. This is just period. Like, is his technique perfect? No, you got to coach him up. But I mean, if you're 6'5", 310, but you move like you're 6'5", 270, that's a really big deal because when you go up against the guy who's 6'5", 270, and he moves like that, and you move like that, and you got 40 pounds, there's a reason they don't let lightweights fight heavyweights. So that, that that's why you know, he's a special player in our eyes. Hooper, um, too. Played basketball for Grimsley, you know, and is... Yeah, uh, he's got some twitch to him. He's got some twitch to him, for sure. Um, on Brandon Dennis, we've known about this kid since he was, uh, I think, in seventh grade. He started playing with South Florida Express as an eighth grader. 
I know, and played well as an eight. Like Danny could tell you, like that's a really elite seven on seven team down here. I mean, he was playing with like Southward Express Elite, like the the A team that they have that wins national chi- national titles and whatnot, um, and was an impact guy. You know, he's I don't know that he's like the fastest player in the country, but he's very polished for you know for for being the age that he is. Good ups, really nice hands, understands the kind of nuances of route running. Um, and he's his trajectory reminds me a little bit of Ja'Cory Brooks, where Ja'Cory Brooks was a kid we knew about in eighth grade, played for South Florida Express. I was like, all right, is he a birthday kid? How much is he going to continue to get better? But yet Ja'Cory just kept getting better when he was healthy pretty much every year. Uh, and this is a great get for for Oklahoma. Um, you go out there, Lincoln Riley, you know, is going to set you up a ton of one-on-one matchups, and I would expect Ennis to win those. So Ennis, uh, one one note and then uh, a thought. In eighth grade, when, to your point, Power 5 coach was mistaking him for being someone that he could go and, like, recruit and offer. Like, he just, he was so dialed in when he was playing. He was so polished uh, and that coaches were mistaking him for actually being at the same age as those other guys he was competing against. And number two, I'm starting to get this, like, weird hunch that when we look four, four years down the line or five years down the line, like, Oklahoma, and specifically Lincoln Riley, with this SEC move, might run college football. Like, could you see a scenario? Like, I, again, I was just looking at the future recruiting classes, and you're thinking about now Lincoln gets to go and pitch that to the younger groups. Like, you will be playing in the SEC. Like, that's this is going to be how you get to the NFL. We've already seen Lincoln Riley up sort of the Sooners' profile in recruiting. If that thing can only continue to move up with the SEC, and it's so interesting when we, like, are trying to predict winners and losers from all these moves – you know, Nick Saban ain't going to coach forever. Lincoln Riley's real young. I just started to look into my own little crystal ball, and I was thinking, I was like, man, this Oklahoma might be. So Barry Switzer had what a fifteen-year run or something like that. Won twelve conference titles, three national championships, like something in that range. I'm not going to have his tenure correct, but I'm pretty sure I've got his conference and natties. Like, I could see something like that with a a SEC positioned Oklahoma Sooners. I could see them being the the Alabama, the dominant program of maybe the next 15 years. In the same conference with Alabama. Yeah. That's what I, they use it and they actually get stronger instead of it being because they're getting recruited against in the Big 12. They are losing recruits because they're being told like you don't you don't want to go there. Like you want to come here and play in the SEC. And now they've got that. And if they take that one loss during the regular season, it's like, well, but you're in the SEC and you get to use those quality losses to be able to continue to stay viable in uh, the college football playoff picture, which will be expanded. I think it's possible. Um, I will say that Riley Sooners have lost uh, some some real kind of head-scratching games. And That's true. When we, when we previewed Oklahoma, what did we say? It's really like a two-game season or a three-game season. The rest of these are not really, not really losable for them. Um, you know, if they go play a nine-game SEC schedule, our, our segment to discuss their schedule is going to be more than a minute or two. They, they're going to have there, there are more games. Not that they won't be favored in mm-hmm. necessarily, although there will be more of those too. Uh, but more games where if they slip up, the quality of athlete on the field at a lot of the SEC teams you have to play is much better than that in the Big Twelve. Look at the draft numbers per team in the Big 12, they're terrible. They're not producing NFL-quality athletes. And then remove Oklahoma and Texas from those numbers. Right, yeah. Like, like we said, you know, they, if you take Oklahoma and Texas out, the Big 12 recruits 
at a G5 level. Well, okay. It is closer to a G5 level than it is to the Pac-12 on a per-team basis if you take them out. We will see. Uh, what's the next big recruit commitment that we have on our radar right now? Uh, let me pull up our sheet. Because um, we have had the commitments flying, just as you predicted. After having a really, really quiet June, everyone got in their visits, uh, got in uh, you know, that, that last-minute um, you know, check-ins, and it feels like a lot of the June commitments have all been backed up, and we've had them flying. Uh, CBS Sports HQ, of course, being a big place where you can find those. So I actually don't have the HQ email, but we do have uh, Ernest Cooper the fourth uh, committing, Crystal Ball, uh, one prediction Texas A and M. You know we'll see, we'll see if, if that's where he ends up going. But you know top one hundred and fifty uh, defensive lineman out there from from Arlington. So he's coming up pretty soon. Bryson Hurst, uh, offensive tackle out of Mississippi, a top three hundred and fifty type kid. Uh, he's going to commit on August twenty fifth. So we do see a lot of these kids trying to get it done before their senior season starts. Absolutely. And remember, keep it with 24-7 Sports. Go and get yourself a VIP subscription if you haven't already. You ain't doing it right unless you have one. Coming up on Wednesday, it is uh, something that a lot of listeners have talked to us about. It is something that, uh, you know, I think we've had mailbag questions come in. And it's an activity that, Tom, I know we've done on the editorial side before. But it is one final draft for the offseason. But we are drafting teams for this college football season. The scoring will award points for wins, for division titles, for conference championships, for bowl games. We are going to have the Cover 3 Fantasy Draft. Tom, is that a good name for it? Sure. Okay. Do we have any other names for it? The Super Fantasy Draft? Uh, no, I love Cover 3 Fantasy Draft best of all. Cover 3 Fantasy Draft coming up on Wednesday. Get your big boards together. Uh, we will finalize all the specifics on draft order and how many rounds coming up. And if you want to play along, put together your draft board. And if you want to uh, submit what your draft board might look like, always available in the five-star mailbag. Go and leave us a five-star review. Include your uh, suggestion for our Fantasy Draft, and, uh, and we will tackle it on a mailbag episode. We'll open up that big old bag of mail here uh, before week one starts. I'm going to draft Alabama. First? I'm not telling. Okay. You sure? You don't want to Have Ohio we done State? the scoring on this yet? So it's wins, wins, making a bowl, conference titles, division titles. I mean, we'll, we'll figure that out. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tom, Tom's put together it's, a scoring system before, right? Yeah, but yeah. I don't know how we're, I, we'll figure it out. Are we'll we going to do it before the draft, though? Because I, I think if we no, put it together after no, the draft, gonna, I really I'm like gonna, Tom's chances. I'm going <laughs> to wait to see us. what teams I have, and then we're going to do the score. Okay. <laughs> 20 if, points for a loss, one point for a win. Sorry, bud. Or, <laughs> or, pick looks terrible. No, no, no. The, the Tom scoring system would be like, if you if the under hits plus three <laughs> points. <laughs> like Win scoring less than 24 points. Or yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. At 100%. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. The Cover 3 Fantasy Draft coming Wednesday. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.